Well, that was a abbreviated countdown. Whoops. Anyway, <laughs> hello out there and welcome to the GamecocksGroup.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecocksGroup.com, which is on the Rivals Network. I'm Caleb Alexander. Uh, I'm the publisher and handle a lot of recruiting. I'm joined by Alan Cole, who is the beat reporter for all the major sports. And right now we're in the midst of the run-up to football season. Ten days away. We're, we're Ten days. Ready. I mean, three days if you count weird games in Ireland and in Hawaii. Yeah, well, we're definitely about to have a little bit of a feature, I think, tomorrow on the Week Zero game. So, I mean, I'm a football junkie. I'll definitely watch yeah, it. Uh, even though I'll, it's, be, I'll be into it. It's probably not going to be the most quality, although I'm kind of excited about that Nebraska um, Northwestern game. I think that's going to be interesting. I mean, it's something for um, Gamecocks. You've got Holinsky, a quarterback there, Northwestern, so that's something. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, I, I kind of actually forgot about that. He just got named the starter last week, so yep. that'd be good. Um, all right, before we get too deep into fall camp stuff, let's talk about recruiting because that has been going. Pretty, pretty well. Very well for Shane Beamer <laughs> the last week or so. Um, the Rivals national team actually, and I can um, put this link on the Insiders Forum here in a little bit. Uh, I can't believe, I, or I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Adam Friedman or Gorney. I get them confused because they're both Adam. Um, but we're talking about the hottest teams in the country right now in recruiting, and they mentioned South Carolina as being on that list. It's easy to see why, um, because over the last month, there have been four Rivals 250 uh, recruits that have committed. Let's see, Marky Anderson, um, Xavier McLeod, McLeod uh, Xavier Hardy. There was a fourth one. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, there's been quite a bit of momentum going. So this past weekend... Uh, Camden, South Carolina, D lineman Xavier McLeod, who we very much kind of uh, had the inside scoop on that one for a couple couple weeks here, and we've been mentioning it for a couple weeks here. Um, fulfilled my future cast. I'm back on the right side of history on those um, and committed to South Carolina on Friday. And then we got kind of a surprise, but not really a surprise if you were paying attention to what's been going on um, in my weekly recruiting wrap-ups which we're doing this a, a day early today, so I have a little bit less to tease on that end. But um, anyway, uh, Georgia, making Georgia D-Lyman, Xavier Hardy uh, also committed sort of surprisingly on Sunday afternoon. So uh, Shane Beamer tweeted out a welcome home, and then like within like half an hour, uh, Hardy went live with that. So that's that's two big-time pickups for the D-Line, and, and really in general that <laughs> – the D-line recruiting looks way different than it did a few weeks ago. So, uh, oh, Montague Rames. That was the other Rivals 250 guy that I wasn't thinking of. Um, so, yeah, with the addition of Rames, McLeod, and Hardy, and then uh, some of the other guys that they're kind of still in the mix with, like Desmond Umio Zulu, who's announcing on Monday, who have a future cast in for South Carolina, too. Uh, yeah, that, that room's looking right. Much, it changed much, pretty fast much, there. Yeah. You know, um, you have the note here. Um, I did think it was interesting that, um, I guess this would have been Tuesday, Shane Beamer in his opening statement at the press conference said, he made sure to mention that a week from Saturday, Clemson's not at home, Georgia's not at home, North Carolina's not at home, 
Tennessee's not at home Saturday. They're playing next Thursday night in Knoxville. And his whole thing was, if you're a recruit, where else are you going to be next Saturday? You should come to Williams-Bryce for Georgia State. Um, yep. I thought that was kind this, of an interesting thing to throw in. This is something we talked about back during uh, SEC media days, but it seems like pretty much any time he's got an opportunity to speak to the public, he's using that opportunity to uh, recruit, like to, to kind of sell the program and also – seems like sometimes he hints to certain kids like hey i'm thinking about you right now like why don't you come on in um so yeah we'll have a full list of those visitors for next weekend coming probably mid next week but i do know that there's some there's some names that are already starting to stack up for that um including some 2024 prospects i don't uh this isn't for that weekend but we did just um get confirmation that 2024 in-state O-lineman Cam Pringle, who's very important in that class, uh, should be in town for the SC State game. That's a few weeks down the road. Um, and it's also possible he's going to come for Georgia, but we're not sure yet. Someone I do know will definitely be there for Georgia. Georgia, not Georgia State. So a few weeks later, um, Nick, Nick, Nicholas Harbor, five-star, number nine rated recruit in the country, number one overall athlete in the country, um, is set for an official visit on September 17th for the Georgia game. So that'll that'll be a pretty pretty big one there. Um, South Carolina is still in really good uh, shape right there. And also, you know, like I said, I have a future cast in for Umi Ozulu to South Carolina. Um, they're pretty good friends from what I uh, understand, uh, Harbor and Umi Ozulu. So that, you know, those relationships could go a long way and we'll, we'll see how all that plays out. Um, a couple other, like just, Quick 2024 notes. Um, we have some articles on the site right now from number one linebacker in the country, Sammy Brown, um, and also heavy uh, Heaven Brown Schuler. Both are very important 2024 recruits, and both were um, in town for the cookout at the end of July. And we've still just been kind of gathering quotes from different people that were at the that cookout because it was a huge um, event. But they uh, both spoke very highly of South Carolina. And they also spoke about maybe wanting to play together. So that's something to kind of keep in mind and uh, look at going forward. They've been playing together since like Pop Warner, apparently. I don't know if it's Pop Warner. Yeah, for some high school there. Yeah, it's right outside of Athens. Yeah. Um, let's see, recruiting those. Oh, the only other thing that I didn't mention just now before we get into full-on fall camp football stuff. Um, as we spoke about last week, 2023 four-star center. In basketball, uh, Jordan Butler out of Christchurch, he took an official visit to South Carolina. Um, it went pretty well. Um, spoken to a few people that are familiar with him and familiar with the program. Uh, right now, I would say South Carolina is very much in the mix and maybe mostly down to like Florida State, South Carolina. I know Auburn at one time was kind of in there, but I, I don't right. know that they're as, as big. Um at the moment, but that would just be another important in-state recruit if Paris could ultimately land him. And we've seen that, yeah, that's been an emphasis so far. I know, um, yeah, exactly. I know um, Gigi Jackson spent a lot of time speaking with uh, Butler this weekend and kind of selling him on the idea of staying home. And I mean, who better to sell you than uh, the number, well, what was once the number one? All, yeah. History, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, that's pretty much it on recruiting. On Friday on 
GameCocksGroup.com. There will be a premium article like there is every Friday with the weekly recruiting wrap-up. That's usually one of our bigger articles of the week every week. Um, so I'll let you know my final take or close to final take on Umio Zulu at that point and kind of what to look for going forward. Anyway, we got some fall camp stuff going. Uh, so the past two days, um, several players spoke, got to speak to Coach Beamer, and then both coordinators spoke today. And one of the big things that I think that we were trying to figure out is what went on in the second scrimmage. So yeah. with the first scrimmage, they had immediate um, press coverage. Like right afterwards. Yep. Yeah, um, but this week we didn't get into a little bit later. So what are you hearing um, as far as takeaway from the scrimmage? Uh, I got a big, well, maybe not a big, but I've got an article coming on the second scrimmage just trying to read the tea leaves there, what everybody's been saying. That should be dropping on the website either tonight or tomorrow, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but in terms of you know what I have already been hearing, I think the biggest take is that the offense is starting to catch up with defense, and not even so much that it was behind schedule like we talked about last week, but it was still behind the defense, as these things usually are early in fall camp. Um, by the sounds of it, the offense has been a lot crisper in the last week. Um, you had Zach Pickens talking about how the D, the offense had them kind of running a little bit uh, during the second scrimmage a lot. Um, they were making a lot of you know quick checks, calls, moving them side to side. Um, everyone's been positive on the turnover front, too. Um, that was something Luke Doty talked about yesterday, uh, about how there really haven't been any turnovers in either scrimmage, but especially they were very clean in the second one which obviously that's what you want as, as coaches, especially kind of heading in towards an actual game here. Um, well, sort of what you want, right? Like that's... Um, well, it, the, does, it does go both ways. I did write a little bit about right. that too, what that means for the other, for the other side of the ball. Um, yeah, because last year they, they led the SEC in turnovers uh, with 24. So yeah, is that the defense isn't being as effective at creating them or the offense is just being really, really good at protecting the ball? Let's hope it's... It sounds it's like more of the latter. Um, yeah. Again, you're getting players, you're getting coach speak, but I think that's obviously we're having Spencer Rattler having... a. It's just hard to overstate how much more settled the quarterback situation is than it was at this time last year. I mean, yeah. played four last year. You know who QB1 and QB2 this year. I think that's important too. You've got an established backup as well. Um, I think it's some of that. And also we've heard a lot about this wide receiver group being improved too. That was um, something Shane Beamer talked about. Doty talked about um, that just, they're going up, um, going up and making plays more, especially those. I didn't, the word, the term 50, 50 ball wasn't used, but we've heard a lot about attacking balls in the air and going up and getting it. Um, that's something we've heard Beamer challenge the receivers to do early in camp. And it sounds like that's kind of coming a little bit more to fruition through these scrimmages. Um, and it makes sense because this is a big size wise. This is a pretty big receiver group. I mean, Jaheim Bell's large. Josh Van is pretty big. Like this, this is a group that's capable of going up and getting balls. And at least it sounds like that's starting to happen more. Yeah. Xavier Legat actually is another person that kind of got called out as far as those big body, like wins contested balls. And then you got several guys that are a little smaller and niftier in Amari, Amari Brown. And, he got some um, good praise. Yesterday too, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like to me, and this is something that I'm going to try to tackle this weekend. I'm going to try to put out uh, a depth chart, you know, one week out or whatever. It sounds like some of the main groups that are, were kind of struggling putting the full picture together at the moment with is wide receiver, 
but it sounds like that's because there's so many good options, not really that there's. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like, something something that Satterfield said today was that again, it's you got to add the coach speak caveat, but that starter maybe doesn't mean a whole lot. He used just kind of a rough example that there might be weeks where a starter plays 25 snaps and their backup plays 30. And then the next week the roles are flipped and that guy's playing 30, other ones playing 25, even though they might technically be the starter or whatever. Um, right. They're going to throw the ball a lot. We know that there's still questions with the running back room. I would, I would have Christian Beal Smith is doubtful at this point to play against Georgia state. Um, it sounds like they're, they're going to have to throw the ball at least against Georgia state. So, yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, Coach Beamer obviously kind of playing things close to the vest on the injury front, but he did say something, if you're reading between the lines, that was a little telling to me about Christian Bill Smith, where he was he was like, we would like him to be out there if he can be sort of thing. And it's like, all right, so maybe trending towards not, which you – I would you, be surprised. Said, yeah. You said he was kind of on the uh, little scooter a little over a week ago. So Yep, he was, yeah. Um, some other of those position battles that are still kind of playing out, uh, third-string quarterback. So, like you said, Rattler is pretty established as number one. Doty seems to have really solidified himself as number two, and he continues to draw praise um, with how much he's grown from last season. But then they're still trying to figure out that third-string quarterback position. So is it going to be the highly – recruited Tanner Bailey? Is it going to be the sort of diamond in the rough Jalen Daniels? Is it going to be Braden Davis who looked good in the spring game? And then, of course, Colton Gothier. And I hate listing him so late because he's the most tenured uh, yeah. member of those four. But um, we just haven't heard, I guess, as much about him except for, you know, I'm sure he's doing great. It, for, from what I can understand, those four, none, no one from that four has really stepped forward yet as an obvious third-string quarterback. And then, of course, you have Joyner who can play quarterback too, so maybe he would. Even yeah, I honestly, it, it's hard because the whole thing for South Carolina last year was not having enough experience in the quarterback room. And I mean, let's face it if you're at if you're at any point where you actually need your third string quarterback taking game reps, you're probably in trouble anyway. I don't think that's me speaking out of turn. Um, but I think it really if it got down to it and they just wanted someone experienced who knew the offense well, it might be to carry on Joyner, might be your third string quarterback. I mean, again, if you get down to that point, you've got much, much more pressing matters. But well, um, I mean, if, if anyone is familiar with getting down to that point in South Carolina, that's, <laughs> yeah, getting even further than that last year at a grad transfer or um, right. a grad assistant playing quarterback. Yeah, but, yeah, um, that's, but that's all the more reason I think they'd want someone to right? <laughs> Yeah, knock on wood, right? Hopefully we won't yeah. have to really worry about who the third-string quarterback is. Um, but that is kind of one of the interesting topics that keeps coming up. And, again, I think that you have a, an abundance of talent, um, but they're all young and inexperienced. Um, so, I mean, it's a good problem to have. Maybe those guys start to differentiate themselves throughout the season a little bit. Maybe South Carolina gets up uh, big in some games and can get a couple snaps for some of those guys too. We'll we'll see how that goes. Another position that's still kind of shaking itself out is D line. Um, probably particularly on the inside, we pretty much know that the two Jordans are going to be on the outside. That um, uh, what's his name? You're looking at probably 
Well, you know Zach Pickens and Bookie Huntley are going to be a big part of that inside. Um, I think it's more the rest of the group. There's questions about still what's the role for TJ Sanders. He's a guy we talked about a little bit last week. Um, it's what's the role for Tonka Hemingway. You know, I'm not really sure where he quite fits in the mix. You've got Terrell Dawkins, the transfer in from um, NC State. Um, we haven't heard a lot about him yet in camp, which is kind of interesting, but he's definitely there and they didn't bring him here to sit. So he's going to, you have to figure he's going to be in the mix. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. And I, I wonder, I guess, why we haven't heard as much about him. I mean, you guys have been in the, the media room. Has anyone asked specifically about him or he just hasn't come up? Or Not that's come to mind, actually, now that I think about it. That's just a name I thought of now running through the list in my head. But I don't think Terrell Dawkins has come up even once. Um, yeah, I feel like I've heard an even mention of like Gilbert Edmond before I've heard. Yeah, Gilbert Edmond, we talked to him. He was right. um, he was in there last week. So yeah, that's interesting. Maybe and, uh, MJ Webb too, another one. Maybe Dawkins won't be relied upon as much as we would have projected back in the spring. Maybe he's still coming back from that injury in some way. I don't know. Yep. We'll, have to, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, and then the last position that, at least as I'm working through the depth chart, I'm the the starters are easy here: Devonnie Reed and um, R.J. Roderick at safety. But then trying to figure out that group behind them, and um, actually two freshmen got a lot of praise. Yeah this week in Nick Amonwari, who we talked a little bit about last week. Um, and then DQ Smith, who we haven't really talked too much about, but um, he's another freshman that got mentioned as a guy that's really uh, sort of flashed here early. Yeah, I really think if you had to, just off what we're hearing in press conferences and what we watched in practices, which obviously wasn't a ton, but if you absolutely had to choose one winner of fall camp for South Carolina, it sure sounds like it's Nick Amonwari. Um, Everybody's been talking about how he's flying to the ball, how he's physical. Um, we've heard about his tools a couple times. A few different players have talked about how he just has everything you need to be great, great out there. Um, Beamer's talked about it. Clayton White's talked about it. Um, almost every defensive player who's been in there has talked about it. Um, it's not nothing. Like there's too many people who are bringing up this freshman who just got to campus who. As um, Shane Beamer said yesterday, was not even originally, he went to South Carolina's football camp last summer without a scholarship offer from anybody, and South Carolina found him there. Um, I know that's something you've written about a little bit, just with South Carolina kind of finding these <clears throat> safeties, kind of. Yeah, so like that. I, yeah. I, rem I remember seeing that quote. Um, he said specifically, yeah, we loved our evaluation of him and offered a scholarship on camp, which is something that um, – they did with Judge Collier earlier this year, guy that had you know, no stars on the, the services until that offer had no real major offers. Um, him and Worry, like ultimately ended up with four stars uh, on Rivals by the time all was said and done last year. But um, South Carolina has done a really good job, and I am going to write a longer article on this, kind of comparing this to the 2023 and, and looking at the 2022 class. Specifically, the DBs, I think, um, they've done a really good job of finding these like diamonds in the rough. So uh, another good example from the 2023 class is someone like Jalen Kilgore, who uh, they were the very first to offer. And that, that's something that he kind of cited as being a big reason that he ultimately signed the South Carolina, even though uh, over time he picked up some major offers from Georgia and uh Auburn and a couple other SEC schools, but um, 
they've done a really good job of kind of uh, getting in early on some of the other guys, those guys. And now eventually sometimes you have to fight off uh, the major school whenever that happens and they're not always successful. I mean, we saw this with Jaden Robinson, right, where Florida, uh, where, he, yeah, where he really wanted to go, I guess, um, offered him the day before he announced for South Carolina. And then they weren't able to quite keep off, um, you know, the, the local school there. But and a lot of times they, they have kind of won those battles. So it's interesting to see going forward. And that's definitely something that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, Torian Gray, <clears throat> Torian Gray is one of the most respected evaluators of talent in the country. So pretty much if someone, if he offers someone that's, <laughs> pretty much knocking a, a star onto them. Like right. as, soon, as soon as I reached out to uh, the rivals national folks about judge Collier and was like, yeah, he just camped in South Carolina. Torian Gray offered him on the spot. They're like, Oh, well, he's at least a three-star then. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you think about last year too, of all the, you know, kind of feel good, positive energy this team had coming out of last year, surprising some people, maybe the biggest of it all was, Jalen Foster pretty much coming out of nowhere and being an All-American at safety. Right. Um, that's another one right there. And on that note, I don't have this in our rundown, but I was going to make a note. He's back in the building in some capacity. Nobody would commit to exactly what his title is. Um, Clayton White used the term senior advisor roughly today. He said he doesn't have an official title for him, but in some capacity, Jalen Foster is back in the football building working with these safeties and corners which can only be a good thing for South Carolina. Yeah, honestly, still really surprising to me that he didn't ultimately at least get on like a practice squad or something somewhere in the yeah. NFL. Um, but yeah, I, th I, mean, I it's think it's a size thing as much as anything. For sure. But like you said, good use of someone who's kind of come from that walk on to all American sort of uh, trajectory as a motivator, both from a like, uh, <laughs> No, abstract, was, like well, abstract, like, said exactly yeah. yesterday that there's going to be he said there's going to be guys who aren't going to play as much as they want to next week right you've got a guy in the building who went from a walk on to an all-american now right yeah so you got that like abstract like never give up sort of motivation factor Motivational but then also in the building. <laughs> yeah but then also literally just from an x and o's factor i think that that's a, a good guy to have there at a position of need right like either Roderick yeah. or or reed goes down and you're very thin that's <laughs> probably that might be the one position where south carolina is the lightest of anywhere would be at safety especially on defense right um a couple other like just random things that i saw over the last couple weeks from the various coaches um they they they're still like talking about Dodie and how much he stepped up both, you know, as a player, but also as a leader, he said yep. something, uh, Beamer said something about he's one of two leaders on the football team as well, which I assume was him just saying that Rattler's the other. It would have um, to be. I, yeah. I mean, you've got, again, you talk about having different problems. If your back quarterback's your leader and your starter isn't, you have different problems. But yeah, and I can't imagine that he was saying that there are only two leaders on the team right. either. So I think he probably just, that's just the way it came out or whatever. Um, and then another interesting part that he's been talking a lot about is year two versus year one. So the idea that this time last year they hadn't experienced a loss, didn't know how people, didn't know how he personally would uh, react to it, didn't know how his team would react to it. And so you're just, you have a lot less of those 
um, year one questions going into this year. Also, just a lot of the coordinators and stuff talked about comfortability with the playbook, all those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, what's your feeling on the confidence heading into year two versus year one? The most interesting thing I got from all of that, I think this is something players are recognizing in Beamer too, is we heard this from Beamer himself and one player who I'm blanking, but he's he cataloged everything last year, which is to say he made notes. We practiced on this day. This is how we did. This was our energy level. This is what we went like. And he said like, okay, this time I can refer that he said they're in mock game week this week. So they're doing all the stuff they would normally do during a game week, except obviously play a game on Saturday. And he said last year in Tuesday mock game week, two weeks before the opener, we didn't have a good practice. And I remembered that. I have that down, that Tuesday, two weeks before was bad last year. How do we fix that this year? Um, apparently, and I guess that's probably not unusual for coaches. These guys are all playing things down to a, down to the minute and focus on everything. I don't think that's unique to Shane Weaver necessarily, but I did think that was interesting that he was very much trying to remember and replicate kind of what went wrong at different points, even in preseason last year and seeing what can be done about that before you even get to games. Apparently it might be, it might be somewhat unique to him. I do know that um, coming out of the hiring process for Beamer, one of the things that was mentioned was it was in his interview specifically, he had this very intense uh, attention to detail and he had, you know, this whole, step by step by step down to the smallest like uh or molecule sort of plan for how to rebuild the program now yeah maybe that's a normal thing to do for a job interview as big as this or whatever but it does sound like that that's just kind of the way his brain works another example of that that i saw um this week was when satterfield was talking about fourth down situations and i don't know if this is typical or not i mean maybe that makes sense but he, he kind of said that um, Beamer has an idea by second down of a yep. given series, whether or not it's going to be a, a third, three or fourth down series, and he lets Satterfield know that. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, maybe everyone does that, but I, I can imagine as an offensive coordinator that that would be very helpful no, going into, you know, second and third down, like, okay, I actually have four plays here, or no, Wait. I really need to kind of push it, so... Satterfield said that Beamer was as good as anybody at that, that he's worked with. I don't know if that's coach speak. It seems like it might be, but either way, it's still, you have to have it that way. You can't have one kind of acting without the other. Those two have to work in tandem, especially when your coach is an offensive guy and he doesn't want a hand in that stuff. Um, so it kind of has to happen that way. Yeah. I mean, and that's going to be the big, you know, there were, there were sort of some rumors around the program, I guess, that there are some miscommunication issues on, offensive like game planning and play calling or whatever uh, at various times when they struggled and then of course those things magically got fixed at uh, times when they looked looked uh, like things are going well so you know I don't know how much credence I take uh, to any of those sorts of rumors but it seems like at least heading into the season their flow of communication back and forth is isn't where, where you'd like it to be um, anything else from Satterfield oh one other just like depth chart note, I guess, is he did say that Wanamaker and Wanam, uh, that's DJ Wanam and Tyson Wanamaker, are still uh, competing for that battle for right tackle. Any insight on that? Were you able to see anything really? Bright we'll, know, 
I think we're just going to know the first time they take the field against Georgia State on offense by who's playing right tackle, honestly. Right. Um, and both those guys have a good bit of game experience. I'm sure I think one of them more probably has the inside track just because he played more down the stretch last year. I believe he was a starting right tackle in the bowl game. Um, that'd be about my only insight there. But that's just one of those things I think we're going to have to wait for next Saturday. I said DJ won him, didn't I? I meant Dylan won him, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so did I mean Dylan won him? So many Wanums. Yes, I did mean Dylan won him. Yeah, you got it. Um, you got it. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the last uh, coordinator that we heard from this week was uh, Clayton, Clayton White. And, again, the only thing that really like stood out to me was the turnover thing. Um because that is something that we talked about a little bit, that it's not really a sticky stat from, from one year to the next. Um, and a lot of what kept up going in games last year was winning the turnover battle. They were tied for like 60th in the country and, and plus minus, which is all well and good. That's mostly because they turned the ball over a good bit too. But then over a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, they forced 24 turnovers, which was tops in the SEC, like I said. But he, he didn't seem too worried about it. He was like, we're tackling well. That's kind of He did. He mentioned – the one he mentioned was that they count turnovers on downs as a turnover, which I would assume most schools do. Um, right. But he's, his, his point to saying that was more tackle well, fly to space, be in your position, fill the gaps, all that coach stuff, and you can still be successful on defense even if the tip luck or the fumble luck isn't necessarily going your way the way it was last year, which, let's face it, it probably won't. I mean, you're talking about averaging – almost two turnovers a game for an entire season. That's probably just not realistic, period. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely not. But you you hope that you can at least finish more like middle of the pack at least mm -hmm. uh, with the turnovers. And then, like we said, if the offense is making less mistakes, which it sounds like they are, then you know maybe that sort of balances out. Real quick cor correction on the Dylan Wanham thing because something sounded off about it. Um, he had season-ending back surgery about halfway through the year last oh, year. Oh, you're year. right. You're right. You're right. Okay. He didn't play yeah. in the in the bowl, but it, he did. He does obviously have five years of experience. He's got more experience. I still think that's if I had to choose one, I think it's him. But I don't know. Right. Um, anything else from fall camp that you, that we didn't hit on from? This no, week I think that um, that pretty much covers it for camp. Today was the last time we're allowed in the building until next Tuesday, which is obviously game week. You've got Georgia State. I did want to throw in the weather just because we're ten days out, yeah. but it looks like it could be really bad for Georgia State. The storm in the Caribbean materializes the way it might. I'm yeah, not a meteorologist. We can talk more about that next week, but I just wanted to toss that in because I saw it today and it's like, oh, okay. I know it feels like we're too far out to to know at this point, but if the weather report that I saw this morning holds true, I believe someone compared it to the 1999 game against NC State, which I was nine years old, but I have always heard that as this incredible monsoon game. That was Lou Holt's first game, I think, um, and it did not go well. well I think you talk about maybe needing to throw the ball too. If Christian Beal Smith's out, if the running back game room isn't maybe where it needs to be by week one, and you talk about having to throw the ball in that, we'll see how the weather materializes. That's just going to have to be a wait and see thing, obviously. But 
Yeah. Granted, I also think if it turns into like this run game versus run game thing, um, South Carolina's offensive line should be able to lean mm-hmm. on Georgia State's defensive line over the course of that game. But uh, Georgia State may have a little bit of an advantage in the sense that their quarterback is mobile. Um, so, you know, added element of having two guys in the backfield that can run. Not that Rattler can't run, but I don't think that they're going to want him to carry it 15 times oh, in the game or anything. Mm, I don't know. You put the word soggy in our group chat this morning, and I was just <laughs> – that would be quite a first um, uh, be quite an opener. Yeah. And so, by the way, next Thursday, our plan is to hop on and do a full preview of the Georgia State game. So definitely check back in to GameCocksGroup.com, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, or listen on Spotify or Twitter or uh, Facebook or wherever it is that you like to watch us or listen to us. But, uh, yeah, game week uh, previews will be Wednesday or Thursday. And then we're going to do reviews, or at least one of us or both of us will do reviews after each game. So just kind of a heads up on what the schedule looks like uh, in football season coming up. One more thing before we get out of here, uh, kind of a uh, random um, out-of-season baseball note. Um, Monty Lee. Yeah, it is a pretty big one. Um, D1 Baseball actually called it the second best hire of the offseason, which (laughs) – fit it right in there right before the article got out there, I guess. But um, so, yeah, former Clemson head coach, Monty Lee, who also uh, was an assistant under Ray Tanner, uh, also coached at College of Charleston, um, is being hired as a assistant again now under uh, Mark Kingston's staff. And then I know you, you got to sit in on his opening interview and I, I didn't actually get a chance to watch much of that. So I'm going to let you kind of take over from there, but yeah, pretty, pretty big news. And I mean, it can't hurt to have a former head coach that's had, you know, varying levels of success at two different schools on your, on your staff. No. Yeah. I was sitting in on that. That was, uh, that was on zoom actually. Uh, Mark Kingston tested positive for COVID on Monday. Um, obviously best wishes to him. Uh, with that so we were on zoom but i was on that call um i think the big takeaway for me well there's a baseball takeaway and there's non-baseball the non-baseball stuff more the career stuff is that it does seem like monty lee really wanted this job um it didn't really break right for him the last couple of years at clemson but he's still a 14 years of head coaching experience seven at the power five level you know he got clemson to the tournament couple times like he that's not an unqualified candidate to be someone's head coach and he said he did have offers he said he had pro baseball offers but he said he wanted to be back in Columbia he used the term no-brainer more than once on that call this is he used he just someone um you know someone asked about why this job he just said it's the University of South Carolina he used that a couple times too um this really does seem like the one job he wanted Oh, by the way, he's taking over for um, Chad Kaye. We should have started with that. That's the old hitting yeah. coach slash recruiting coordinator. That's the job that Lee's going into. Um, he, Chad Kaye, retired to spend more time with his family. Um, Lee did say that he was going to be spending more, most of it with the hitting coach as hitting coach slash recruiting coordinator. But also he mentioned helping Scott Wingo with the infielders. Um, he mentioned that, He's going to be working with the catchers a little bit. Um, it kind of seems like he's just there to do whatever Mark Kingston needs him to do. 
um, even though that is going to be majority hitting coach and recruiting coordinator. Which, I mean, that's really where South Carolina needs to improve more than anything. Um, they're sort of bottom of the SEC in almost every offensive category. Pretty much. Last I mean, year, um, sort of amazing that they competed as well they, as they did, especially considering how thin the pitching staff was by the end of the year, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's where South Carolina is going to hope that they can turn things around. Now, I did see that um, – some people immediately started to speculate, like, okay, Kingston's on the hot seat. You bring in former head coach who's got South Carolina ties uh, onto the staff. Any any chance that you you see, you know, Kingston getting the boot after the season and then Monty Lee just kind of sliding right in there? Because to me, that seems like, well, he's a part of the staff. If they don't, if things don't go well, I don't think that they're going to turn. I don't think that would happen. I mean, I'll admit it crossed my mind, but I don't think that's going to happen that's i think if this it, i mean there's no way around it it's a must we can divide into expectations and this and that when we get closer to february or even through fall ball but it's a must something year for the program must regional super regional hosting i you can divide that up however you want but it can't be last year again it has to be noticeably better than last year um I think I, everyone, I, everyone knows this is kind of last chance saloon for the Mark Kingston era. And if Monty Lee's here, he's going to help turn the ship around or probably go down with it. It's going to be one of the two this year. I have to well, I can't think of a scenario where I've ever seen so much reliance on your rival for both transfers and now. now three tra three well. Clemson transfers coming in. Yeah, two position players. Um, you got uh, Dylan Brewer. I uh, got Jonathan French. He's a catcher. I'm blanking on the pitcher. I should have that here. But three yeah. three transfers from Clemson as part of their 10 total and obviously a hitting coach now, basically trying to save this era of South Carolina baseball. Which, by all means, if it works, no one will care. Everyone will be like, great job. You made great moves. But if it does not work, that's immediately going to be a, a, you know, a, a battle flag flown uh, against Kingston. It's going to be a very interesting series, um, that non-conference series next March between the two. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. But Well, I mean, looking forward to how it all plays out. And I do think it's a kind of no-brainer move for Monty Lee, but I do think it's also kind of a no-brainer move for Kingston there. Like if, yeah. if that guy's available uh, and wants to be there, you can't really turn him down, even if there is some of that crimson stigma on him or whatever. Yeah, he um, he did say, too, that it happened very quickly. Um, he said it was like a few days between when Mark Kingston first reached out to him and when he got hired. He Someone asked him if he'd had any conversations with Ray Tanner since he was hired. You know, his old boss went to Omaha twice together in 03 and 04. And he said only a couple because it just happened so fast. They hadn't really had time to fully digest it yet. Um and again, you can take that as Monty Lee saying yes immediately. Um, you can take that as Mark Kingston just being like, all right, something has to happen here. We got we to gotta move quick here before we kind of get into fall camp. Um, you can take that a couple different ways, but it definitely sounds like this was a pretty snap move from everyone involved. Yeah, so we'll definitely have full coverage of that as we get closer to the season, but definitely something interesting to fill these last couple of weeks of summer before we finally kick off. Um, like I said, on GameCocksGroup.com, we'll have some coverage uh, or some previews 
of week zero for those of you that are football junkies and, and want to look into some of that. Um, I'm going to finish up my season long previews. So I just put out Missouri this past week. I have four more to go. So I got to do Vanderbilt, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Florida Clemson. Um, so all those will be done by Monday or Tuesday. And then we're going to get right into previewing Georgia state. Georgia state. Let's do it. Um, you know, the fighting Sean Elliott's. I think that that's going to be an emotional game. They're going to be very, very up for it. Yeah. I plan on doing a, a little bit of a deep dive on Elliott himself. For those of you who uh, haven't kept up with his career since he left South Carolina, um, he's been pretty successful. Uh, and I expect, you know, it's, it's a veteran team. I expect a little bit of a test early. Like I said before, South Carolina has them in star power pretty much across the board. So over the course of a game, unless it gets too ugly and bogged down and lets them hang around, because I do think you know, ultimately it's going to be okay. But it, it's, it could be interesting early for sure. It's a, I think you used the term scary game. We talked about it about a month ago. That's pretty much you, you have to have their attention. You have to take that seriously. So this is not an FCS opponent. This is a group of five who won eight games last year including, let's see, it would have been seven of their last eight because they started one and four and finished eight and five. So they won seven of eight last year, bringing most of most of their guys back, bringing a quarterback back, um, obviously with a former South Carolina head interim coach, at head coach. That's a, a trap game is pretty much the word everyone's throwing around. But, yeah, that's a trap game. It just is. Yeah, no no doubt. So, But, honestly, I think that that's a good way to start the season, too, though, because – you should win home in front of, you know, a pretty big crowd. <clears throat> you got the, the new light system installed. Saw that today, yep. But there should be enough of a challenge that you have to deal with some adversity before you head on the road to Arkansas the next week, too. So actually, That is one thing. Cool. We're going to know pretty fast about this team. Georgia State, Arkansas, Georgia, the first quarter of the season there. There's a lot of different ways that can go. And I think we'll have a pretty good idea of kind of what things look like heading out of the first three weeks. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Alan. Well, let's uh, do it again next week and start previewing um, some real football. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, until next time, you can find us at GameCocksGroup.com. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and like and all that sort of stuff. Oh, really quick note for you, like business owners and stuff out there. Um, we should have a sponsor our first sponsor coming on the podcast here soon, but there's still room for one more. Um, and also there's, um, there's some ad space on gamecockscoop.com too. So that's uh, rivalsgamecockscoop at gmail.com. If you want to reach out, talk to me about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, until next time, we'll see you.